Hello and welcome to the Ask Dr. Ben podcast. I'm your host, Ben Johnson. As a holistic-minded physician, I've spent the last 20 years looking outside the box and conducting research to find the true causes of skin conditions and other diseases. And while the focus of my work has been on aesthetic medicine and unlocking the secrets to reversing skin damage, this podcast will also include many other exciting revelations pertaining to you and your family's health and well-being. So let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ask Dr. Ben. My pleasure to bring you on a weekly basis new insights into aging and health and all the things that can help you really improve your overall life, hopefully your lifespan, and really just uh, we're trying to affect the quality of life as you move into your more mature years which I guess applies to everybody, but obviously if you're you know, in your 20s and listening to this, that's fantastic, and it's great to get a holistic perspective when there's so much misinformation out there about uh, what is the right thing to do and what is dangerous or not dangerous. So, well, today we are talking about what really causes the skin to age. So, you know, this could be broadened to include the entire body, but I thought instead I would not focus so much on aging. Certainly some of the stuff we talk about today can be applicable to your general aging process, but the skin itself is a bit of an enigma. And a lot of people say, oh, I'm aging in menopause, or uh, this causes me to age faster or that. Uh, So I thought I'd just take a slightly deeper dive into how I view the skin's aging process. We're going to cover a few topics that you've heard me talk about because they're really important here. One of them is bottlenecks. Another is hormone influences. But let's start with the discussion of inflammation because it's pretty well established by most physicians, I would say that inflammation is the number one cause of aging. And so much of the medication that we prescribe as physicians, so much of the uh, supplementation that we take as individuals relates to trying to calm inflammation. And I think that is a mistake. You know, things like ibuprofen or acetaminophen, which are Motrin and Tylenol, respectively, are designed to reduce your body's immune system's activity. It's just been a wrong notion for a very long time that when your body is involving inflammatory cells, and I'll put inflammatory in quotes there, that that is somehow the negative aspect of how our skin is aging. That is not true. Your skin and your body oftentimes will activate a quote-unquote inflammatory cascade. Again, I'm just using the terms that are in the literature and the textbooks. But in reality, it's a repair cascade that the origin of this repair cascade comes from the immune system being triggered by a trauma, some sort of toxic or traumatic event, something that caused damage, something that needs to be addressed by the body. And so we associate the fever or the redness or the swelling or the pain with a negative reaction when in fact 
it's what triggered that response that we really need to identify. And so, again, I always remind people, when you think of inflammation, the real true term for inflammation should be repair because repair has all the positive uh, meanings that you should be thinking of when you think about inflammation. Uh, you know that you've heard me say uh, the classic example is when you, let's say, step off a curb wrong and you twist your knee. Well, there's damage to the ligaments of your knee that resulted from that awkward angle that was created. Let's say that what happened where there were a bunch of micro tears happening to the ligaments in your knee. Those micro tears sent a signal to the body to say, hey, we're going to need to fix this. So what does the body do? The body immediately starts to increase the circulation to that area, which creates heat. It starts to allow the diffusion of nutrients, immune cells, and other goodies to the region so that repair operations can be ideal. And that causes swelling. And so that pain redness and swelling that you associate with that sprained knee all seem like they need aspirin, an ice bag. That is a one school of thought. And it's, it's primarily a school of thought for professional athletes who have found that if they shrink the repair response down, if they suppress it, that they can get back to functional play faster. Does not mean they healed better. In fact, I can guarantee you they do not heal better. So on that same tone, when you think about inflammation causing skin aging, I like to look at, well, what are the sources of inflammation and exactly how are they causing this skin aging? And so I thought we would start first with diet. So in the category of diet, glycation is a big thing. And glycation really speaks to this process by which what I believe to be only oxidized sugar. So I do tend to separate out oxidized sugar from, say, pure cane sugar or other sources of glucose that are not damaged. Glucose itself is not damaging. It's not particularly beneficial to the body. Obviously, the body likes glucose as a source of energy, but it is, uh, you know, in excess it is uh, not really serving much of a purpose. It can distort with chronic exposure. It can distort the microbiome. It can, if the body doesn't put it to use, which there is somewhat limited utilization of glucose, then I guess potentially if it's roaming around in the circulation, it can cause uh, some damage to the blood vessel walls. But I think that's really where it's isolated too. When I think of glycation, I actually think of primarily blood vessel involvement. And I think of mostly oxidized sugar. I don't even think alcohol causes glycation. I don't think, like I said, these other forms of more natural forms of sugar that haven't been processed are causing a lot of glycation. But you should know that your skin doesn't naturally go, oh, there's sugar around. Let me deposit some in the collagen of our face and or collagen of our skin in any part of our body. Like that's just not a process that is around. So I think it's been a mistaken storyline to tell people that glycation of their collagen is a problem. The problem is glycation of the small blood vessels of the skin 
which results in a decrease in blood flow over time. And that decrease in blood flow does lead to increased aging because a nutrient shortage is going to reduce collagen manufacturing. It's going to reduce immune cell and growth factor availability. It's going to reduce the recruitment of more fibroblasts to make collagen. So glycation is important. And this idea of an ingesting processed sugar, it's pretty commonplace. Pretty much every everybody recommends you stay away from it. But Again, I don't think of it as wanting to reduce glycation in the collagen itself. So topically, anti-glycation products in that story, I mean, they certainly can be marginally beneficial. I personally opt to address the circulation of the skin slightly differently, and I'm just not sure how much we're repairing glycation. You can reverse glycation with a healthy diet. That has been proven. So the body can fix some of those things on its own, but obviously the more significant the glycation, so example, somebody with type 1, type 2 diabetes who's had it for a while and it's been poorly controlled, they're going to have a lot more glycation and a lot more issues with aging in that regard. But we'll talk more about uh, dilation, vasodilation strategies here in a minute. So for glycation, primarily vascular, not so much collagen, not... It is a relatively significant player because processed sugar is so prevalent in our uh, Western diets. The second area where the diet can affect an aging face is one you've heard me talk about. It's one I'm getting extremely passionate about because I think it's we've got such a huge scientific breakthrough on our hands with the new osmosis recovery product where we are replenishing the fat pads. We are primarily refilling the fat pads within the face that are strategic for wrinkles, the marionette lines, the lines around the mouth, so the lip pursing lines, the lines on the sides of the eyes are heavily influenced by fat pads. I think as much as 80% of the wrinkles on on your smile lines are related to fat pad losses and not so much about collagen and elastin. And so fat pads are a big deal. Um, Now, again, in the diet, diet is the the main source of fat pad loss. There are people who have severe uh, lipodystrophy from, say, HIV or certain conditions, but that's rare enough that it's not worth addressing here. But the fat pad losses from alcohol and oxidized sugar, I believe, are occurring because one of the ways that your body attempts to reduce the toxicity of fat pads is in the fat pads around the, well, really strategically located fat pads. So that might be the breasts, that might be intramuscular fat pads. All of these areas will take on this extra sugar and process it. And if you do enough of it, these particular fat pads, and again, I I have a theory Again, science is not here yet, but uh, our proof is in our results. But I have a theory that the fat pad, there's two ways that fat pad losses occur as we age. One is through oxidized sugar and alcohol affecting a certain zone of fat pads, the ones in the forehead, the ones around the mouth, and the ones just under the eyes. 
excluding the lower eyelids, by the way, that is a different fat pad. That's a salt fat pad. And then the other ones are, are salt fat pads. And again, I would argue primarily processed salt, oxidized salt. So we see an atrophy of those fat pads, but it's much less because it is not nearly as prevalent in a lot of diets, although it is certainly prevalent in many. And anyway, I, I just find uh, like I'm not currently uh, designing a supplement to refill those fat pads because they tend to be the fat pads that we see when we're bloated and they're less related to wrinkles and more related to creating a rounding shape on the face. So the salt fat pads to me, if they're going to atrophy, I think that actually can bode well for uh, the look of a face because you a leaner faces do look better. And, you know, I know I've heard the different views on that. They say, oh, no, you don't want to get too thin. Your face thins out. Well, your face does thin out. But the if you address the fat pads that are related to sugar, then the face thins out in a, a more attractive way. You don't have that gaunt looking, emaciated looking facial structure. So to me, it's the best of all worlds. So yeah, I do not try to replenish my salt fat pad losses and I do try to replenish my sugar fat pad losses. And so that's a big part of aging, a big, you know, 80% of the wrinkle I estimate is related to fat pad volume loss and it's a form of inflammation. So there's an example of how the skin ages with inflammation. The inflammation's occurring in the fat cells themselves. All right. Uh, the next dietary component that I think has uh, the biggest play on the skin aging faster is bleached flour. So bleached flour up there in one of my top 10 toxic chemicals that we get exposed to that causes damage in a lot of areas. But I look at this slightly differently. There is an increase of cortisol when these amino acids are present in the body. I say amino acids. Flour breaks down into a variety of amino acids and the bleaching process of this flour is what I believe it causes damage to the amino acid population that our body then incorporates into various structures. So to me, the aging component of bleach flour is more about dysfunctional protein manufacturing. So bleach flour could create, let's just say, collagen that's more likely to collapse collagen that's more susceptible to trauma and breaking apart from, say, the trauma of certain medical procedures like acid peels or uh, laser procedures. But it also can relate to a dysfunction in making growth factors, to making rejuvenation peptides, and to making a host of other protein molecules throughout the body. So I do associate bleach flour with a lot of aging, including skin aging, as it relates to damaged amino acid incorporation into the body. I don't think there's a ton of research on exactly how these things cause harm. You know, they say when they introduced sugar, bleached sugar and bleached flour into third world societies, they developed all kinds of weird deficiencies that affected the health of their 
teeth. It affected the health of their gums. It affected uh, their diabetes. So there's definitely the microbiome effects that we can talk about as well from taking both of these because that is a factor. But I'm focusing today on how the skin ages. And in my take, the way bleached flour primarily affects skin aging is in the collagen and rejuvenation peptide areas. I think it has a negative impact in introducing the wrong or less efficient and effective proteins uh, through this model. The final aspect of diet that I think has the most impact on the skin's ability uh, or the skin's aging acceleration is hydrogenated fats. So this is, you know, something you get in um, processed oils, you know, Crisco cooking and all those good things, margarines and things like that, that I'm not a fan of, but also in uh, cooking because uh, you tend to cause uh, fat hydrogenation when you fry foods and things like that. So this is more of an impact from in my perspective. And I don't, again, see a whole lot of clinical evidence about how these things go into the body. And I, you know, you can see, well, what, you know, does cortisol increase? Yes. But there's just not, a, you know, other inflammatory markers. Yes. But there's just not a lot of like information that I can find on exactly how hydrogenated fats affect the body. So my take is that they are incorporated into the cells. And so these are damaged fatty acids that get utilized because they have a component of them is functional fatty acid. So they're brought over and they may be incorporated into the cells. And the most important cells that they affect are the immune cells is my take. So hydrogenated fats, particularly bad. And obviously they're going to affect your microbiome, but again, focusing on the skin. And so they create what I think are uh, leaky cells. So that may be immune cells that are then less fluid filled, therefore less efficient. Uh, one of the things they talk about with cells as we age is how they become smaller and less operational, if you will. So this idea of cell leakage is important. A decline in immunity and repairability of immune cells is going to affect the skin and cause aging. So that's how I see aging occurring from the diet. I'm just trying to kind of think through logically how these different components are really affecting skin age. But obviously, in speaking to the broad idea of it, yes, you want to remove oxidized sugar from your diet. You don't want to be too much excess alcohol if you can help it. You would obviously want to take our fat pad protocol with recovery. You, If you do a lot of sugar, one of the ways to reduce your sugar intake is to take our sugar detox elixir, which reduces sugar cravings and I believe reduces damage from sugar at the cellular level, but we haven't done any studies to show that specifically. You know, removing bleached flour from your diet, processed flour in general, you know, there's, there's certainly a lot of opinions on whether or not you should remove wheat altogether? Should you remove gluten? I will say this. I do think some people become sensitized to gluten. I do think gluten appears to have been modified in a way that makes it more likely to cause harm to the digestive tract. But if you can tolerate it, you can tolerate it and your skin could be fine with it. But I don't think gluten is causing skin aging per se. But I do think that, you know, finding a good source of 
whatever works for you is an important part of a healthy diet. And uh, the key here is to avoid bleached, bleached flours and processed flours and, you know, using as much whole grain as you can. So because the body knows how to deal with this, it knows how to break it down. And ideally, you know, you're eating in Europe where they don't make wheat that has increased amounts of gluten in it, which apparently we do here in America. Alrighty, we're going to move on to uh, the next uh, big uh, source of skin aging, which is sunburns. Again, I believe sun exposure, unprotected sun exposure actually makes the skin younger. It triggers vitamin D, which has an absolute anti-aging benefit, but it does more than that. It, there's all kinds of triggers associated in the skin with rejuvenation peptides. So UVA and B are associated with triggering rejuvenation peptides. That is proven. The only question is, is it as a result of damage and the rejuvenation peptides are really just repair in action? Not necessarily, not if you keep your skin from being burned. So, you know, one of the strategies I believe wholeheartedly in, of course, is UV defense because UV defense allows your skin to get all the benefits of sun exposure and still allowing the limitation of UV related damage, which I know sounds too good to be true, but again, we've been selling it for years and years with this related outcome and even shown that vitamin D is still activated through this unique pathway of protection. So I do believe that UV defense is a great tool to allow you to experience the age rejuvenation effects of the sun without experiencing the traumas of the sun. Whereas if you're using a traditional sunscreen like zinc or titanium that reflects the sun, obviously you're not going to activate vitamin D and or other rejuvenation pathways. And same thing with chemical sunscreens, which actually trigger an increase in inflammation in some ways and a reduction in others, but they definitely, again, interfere with vitamin D and rejuvenation pathways. So it's a challenge. And obviously, I want you to be careful and not always go out in the most peak sun time. And if you do, you need to like get, do short bursts of the sun. But again, as far as skin aging, I go back to it's all about uh, the sunburns, the DNA damage is the damage to the vascular tissue which leads to aging. And I don't know how much it has to, you know, if there's a significant loss of collagen per se post sun, I actually haven't seen a lot of research on that, whether or not, you know, if you go out and get a sunburn, what is the main loss that occurs there? Because the trick about DNA damage is it's, you know, it's kind of like brain damage. If you get slow and steady brain damage, you're going to become less and less capable, you know, like someone with a boxer or something, say, who's seeing declines accumulate in their mental function. The same way with the sun, you know, repeated DNA damage to various cells within the skin are going to lead to declines in repairability, declines in production capacity. So, you know, let's say we're talking about the dermal epidermal junction, which is that layer between the epidermis and the dermis. So you're going to see a repeated DNA damage to that is going to show a decline in the turnover rate. It's going to show a decline in the 
a health of the epidermis. So you might see texture changes because it's not quite sitting as compactly as it used to. You might see a thinning in the volume. You might see, of course, age spots developing. All of that uh, just related to this progressive wounding of and more permanent wounding. That's the thing about DNA damage. It's more permanent wounding. So I know it's, it's a pretty out there opinion in, the, in today's day and age when uh, the sun is uh, just thrown under the bus for just about everything. But uh, we cannot forget the massive number of studies that show that sun exposure reduces cancer rates overall. It appears to increase life expectancy and many other diseases appear to be benefited from it. So again, this whole conversation is about what really causes the skin to age and it is definitely sunburns even mild ones so that's the challenge is always you know being out in the sun long enough but not too long but had to mention that of course in this aging conversation the next one that follows right along with that of what causes the skin to age uh, has to do with burning and poisoning the skin so again depending on the ingredients you use i think of the number one poisoning agent on the planet for the skin right now is retinoic acid because of its popularity. And it does cause DNA damage. And yes, other retinols besides retinaldehyde tend to cause DNA damage. And that is a long-term thing. So that does definitely poison the skin. Now, if you're going in and getting frequent acid peels, you're also causing DNA damage. And that is going to have long-term aging effects on the skin. And I know everyone does it for the short-term effect of peeling off the epidermal layer and and whatever firming effect happens from the inflammation from an acid peel. But I worry more about the long-term real causes of aging because just lifting your epidermis with some acids is not going to make it younger and it really shouldn't make it older on its own. It's about about how deep that acid penetrates. Does it reach all the way down to the DEJ? And in some cases, of course, it can reach past the DEJ. Like if you burn the skin with a laser, that's going to create long-term damage at a DNA level. It could create long-term damage if you have a device like a CO2 laser or, oh my gosh, it keeps popping in and out of my brain, but it is a uh, something that actually heats and damages the fat cells of the face. And this can include of course, the fat pads, the very, very delicate and uh, declining fat pads that you do not want to melt away. Yeah. So the idea of melting away fat, not a good idea in any stretch in my mind, especially in the face and something you should be avoided with lasers and phenol peels, I think, can even, I don't think they reach quite that deep to the subcutaneous fat layer, but oh my gosh, they do burn the bejesus deep, deep, deep into the tissue. So Things to be avoided that I think will create long-term skin aging. Then we're going to move on to the category that I talk about a lot, which is this category of bottlenecks. Is there, are there any bottlenecks that really cause the skin to age as we get older, right? And so I think of, there's so many people we know where we see them getting older and their skin seems like it's still really youthful. So when I talk about aging, I'm talking about the decline of dermal density. So the amount of collagen in your dermis, the decline of epidermal health and the DEJ and how much that impacts texture and age spots and, and may cause the formation of capillaries called telangiectasias, which are just little red capillaries on the face. And we're talking about 
the decline in overall volume of the fat pads and the muscles that leads to laxity as gravity pulls on the face and creates these folds like the nasolabial folds or the marionette lines around the mouth or decreases on the lips or, of course, the wrinkles under the eyes, the smile lines or the wrinkles between the brows and the forehead. All this stuff has a lot to do with volume losses. But when it comes down to actual bottlenecks, I've identified a couple here, so let's cover them. First of all, I do think retinaldehyde is a bit of a bottleneck in the skin, and that's why retinaldehyde is, to me, the only vitamin A you should be considering using. The others tend to have no evidence of really being dermal collagen stimulators. They have a lot of evidence of being DNA-damaging and inflammation-promoting because of the quantities that have to be used to generate any kind of response in the skin and the fact that the sun triggers their change, even if you use the product at night. We've talked about this in other podcasts. So retinaldehyde is interesting because the way retinaldehyde is made is the precursor to retinaldehyde is retinyl palmitate and retinyl acetate. I think both of them can be converted to retinaldehyde. And they are... The, the process that converts it is an oxidation process. And remember what I keep saying, how critical is oxygen to our youth? And so many people say, oh, no, it's the free radicals that are making us old. Well, that uh, therein lies the very, very delicate and masterful balance that the body maintains at all times. It's not going to free up too much oxygen that you overwhelm your system with free radicals, but it's also not going to have nearly as much oxygen present if your metabolism is slowing for other reasons. So it's it's measuring and assessing the amount of oxygen available. So what's happening in the skin is the reduction in overall metabolism, the overall activity of your skin does decline over time as the blood vessel volume declines. And so oxygen is going to decline, which makes sense. Oxygen would decline when your blood vessels decline, but it also has to do with the skin adjusting. So uh, one of the things that you've learned from me, hopefully, is that when your skin sends oxygen to your epidermis, which is like the war zone, right? Because the UV light is so present there, especially UVC has more activity at that epidermal level, but UVB as well, of course. And so that creates this oxygen-free radical that we do definitely want to try to avoid. Well, the good news is your skin, as its capacity reduces, it also reduces the oxygen that it presents to the epidermis. It still sends it over with an antioxidant bodyguard, so to speak, something that keeps the oxygen or it stays on the ready in case the oxygen does get triggered by UV light. But yeah, oxygen is controlled. And so when it's controlling oxygen, that means it's going to reduce the amount of retinaldehyde as well. And that's something we can influence by putting more retinaldehyde in. So I definitely think retinaldehyde, which remember is the only ingredient your skin uses to make retin-A when it wants to make collagen. So when your skin wants to make collagen, retinoic acid is the molecule it prefers and it doesn't store it, doesn't keep it around. It only activates it on demand when the skin says, hey, time to make more collagen, retinaldehyde is called upon. So if there is a shortage of retinaldehyde, that would be a bottleneck. And I do believe that is the case. That's why I think the osmosis strategy of delivering stabilized liposome delivered retinaldehyde makes the most sense. And the reason why retinaldehyde is in shortage as opposed to the other vitamin A's, because 
your vitamin A population is essentially provided by your diet, and it's rarely a shortage. Vitamin A is so prevalent that there's very few diets where there's a shortage of vitamin A. So all the vitamin A's your skin uses naturally are going to be present, but the one that is the most subject to being bottlenecked is retinaldehyde because of that final oxidation process that converts those other retinols into retinaldehyde. Secondly, in the bottleneck category is circulation and the fact that nutrients and oxygen are going to be in shortage with the reality that uh, 1% of your blood supply shrinks away and disappears every year after age 25. So by age 50, you have 25% less supply of these vital nutrients. Well, what are the main nutrients being delivered? They're mainly going to be amino acids and fatty acids and minerals like copper and zinc. Those are going to be the main functional ones when it comes to your skin keeping its epidermis maintained and keeping collagen levels maintained. So increasing circulation is something you want to address, and that's one of the causes, one of the real causes of aging skin. The other one that I think is a bottleneck is uh, vitamin C. We do get some vitamin C in our diet. We don't get a ton of vitamin C. And so uh, to me, supplementing vitamin C in your topical regimen is ideal. And I do think you can make a case for supplementing vitamin C in your daily supplements. But I want to overemphasize that vitamin C is another one of these, these things that is not meant to be controlled or is not beneficial in megadose. In megadose, it will reduce reactions. It'll reduce ATP production. It'll reduce your skin's ability to fight pathogens and your body's ability to fight pathogens. So I'm a big believer in modest, if not minimal, vitamin C supplementation to your diet just based on what foods you might eat. Also in this category would be AKG. AKG is alpha-ketoglutarate, and it's an ingredient I use in our vitamin C serum. It does the same function to make collagen that vitamin C does, which is called hydroxylation. And one of the coolest things about it is that uh, it's proven to increase collagen manufacturing when it is supplemented. So clearly the body has a bottleneck reserve supply of it. And so that's coming out in our new Regenerate Collagen and Liver Renewal Supplement coming out December, first week of December of this year. So those are things to think about when you're thinking about what's really causing your skin to age. I'm going to add in a couple of things. Exercise is critical for keeping your skin from aging quickly. It has to do with the oxygen levels. It has a little bit to do with circulation. It has a little bit to do with hormones, which we'll discuss as well. But I, I absolutely believe if you can't exercise, your skin is going to age faster. And again, I'm, I'm a guy that believes in three to five days a week that you're exercising. I'm not a big fan of ozonating, although I think ozone ozone can serve a role in certain pathogenic processes and and the hit of all the free radicals that come with ozone therapy is justified by the anti-pathogen effects or and or the oxygenation of tissue effects it might cause. But it's not ideal. It's not something I would say you should do as a regular therapy. I think it's really meant uh, more for just certain classes of disease. Excess oxygen as well, not good for the skin. It creates more free radical damage than it creates benefit. 
Same thing is true with excess oxygen when you breathe it in your lungs. It causes too much free radical activity to be beneficial. There's different people that you know talk about ways of, of supplementing oxygen. Our immune activator is one of the better ways to do it because of the stabilized trioxalane trimolecule structure. But uh, if you're going to go with other forms of, of oxygen supplementation, I mean, like I said, nasal cannula oxygen actually hurts your lungs. Uh, excess oxygen at the skin level hurts your skin and ozone is a little too harsh so it's it's not easy to do this is why exercise is the uh the go-to if you can do it all right and in the final uh category of what ages your skin well first of all let me just say chemotherapy obviously is going to age your skin because of the dna damage that most chemotherapy causes also the immunosuppressing effects collagen production so you can have that radiation clearly would cause rapid skin aging to the areas that are exposed to radiation. And uh, so that's going to be on that list of things that really do cause aging. And then finally, in the hormone category, you know, it's not all fully understood yet. Uh, So I'm going to give you my take, which is essentially that if you are aging, as a normal person and you get into your 50s, it's in your 50s where your skin can start to show signs of a decline in your estrogen. I actually think that muscle is primarily affected by testosterone levels declining. And I'm not speaking to hot flashes or this is all about skin aging here, but I was, you know, analyzing if there's any evidence to show that low testosterone impacts the skin and it just seems to have a minimal impact really. Now, of course, we can talk about how people with sebaceous skin types seem to age more gracefully because of the volume that their enlarged sebaceous glands produce, but I'm not really speaking to that. I'm really talking about does a shortage in testosterone change how the skin behaves? And I don't think it does. I think it's more about the muscle behavior there. And same thing with progesterone. I don't think progesterone has significant impacts on aging. What seems to be the most dominant player in how the skin looks, and again, I don't think this is a reflection of collagen manufacturing levels, but it's how the skin looks, is the estrone which is one of your estrogens in your body. It's the main estrogen that's present after menopause. And it's the one most impacted by these estrogenic toxins that I talk about so much. Equilin sulfate's a classic example. We get a lot of equilin sulfate in our diet, and it's a quasi-estrone mimicking component. So that lowers your estrone. And when you lower your estrone, especially when you're going into your late 40s and 50s and 60s, then you we can really see that in the skin. And so the secret, again, is skin defense, binding up the estrogenic toxins, eating organic to reduce the exposure to things like equilin sulfate, not taking hormone medication in your later years, not chasing hormone numbers that don't apply to you anymore because you're 50 plus and recognizing that you can thrive and uh, live an amazing life if you exercise well past your 50s. And by the way, exercise increases your hormone production. So it's another benefit to the skin in that regard. But mainly where I see estrone having its impact is not on collagen manufacturing, but more on fat cell volume. So I think there's an influence on fat cell volume and it, you know maybe not so much on the fat pads per se but on other fat cell volume in the skin and when you lose volume your skin starts to show its textural 
losses more obviously. So people see texture changes. The, the wrinkles look more obvious with less volume and the uh, sagging looks more obvious with less fat cell volume. So I think it has to do with fat cell volume. I think it can be addressed. I think the secret is getting your natural estrone up to its levels. And again, I put level uh, healthy levels, which are not... 20 year old levels, healthy levels is healthy for 50 year old. Again, I'm not, I'm not buying into the idea that there's any part of our design that needs that extra hormone as we get older. So here's the good news, bad news. And it's one of the explanations because a lot of people are like, wait a minute, I'm now in menopause. My skin's looking much worse. I need to generate more collagen. Your collagen is not what could have possibly been the problem because it happened so fast. I'm amazed in some people how quickly their skin changes. And that's not a collagen thing. That is a plumping thing. So I am working on a menopausal moisturizer that addresses some of the changes in the fat content in the face and the fat volume. Of course, the hormone relief elixir is a nice benefit on top of skin defense for a lot of you in that age range. So that pretty much covered it. Those are what I think are the real causes of skin aging and everything else is BS. (laughs) No, uh, but yeah, I do uh, hope this helps you and I look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks for joining me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ask Dr. Ben. Please leave a review if you can and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts to get access to all of my upcoming episodes. My website is osmosisbeauty.com and you can find me on Facebook at osmosisbeauty. You can also follow me on Instagram at osmosis underscore beauty. Thanks for listening.